a beneficiary gets an inheritance tax-free. So if all we have is a savings account that earns no interest, and I get that savings account, I have no tax liability. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where each and every week, I, your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, have a chance to meet with people who are making a difference. And today, just like so many days before, over 200 times, I can say that we've had a chance to do this with special guests. Today's another special guest. And today I have someone who works with people who have um, basically been given or have property coming or something in an estate. So someone has passed away or an entity has passed away. We're going to talk about that. What does it mean? And what are some of the complicating factors and what should people know? So um, this hopefully will wake you up a little bit if you don't have an estate plan in place, that it will get your mind thinking about that. But also I think it's going to make people aware of what happens after the fact. What are the things that go on in, in applying in the state, tax ramifications and all that kind of stuff. So my very special guest today is Miss Clara Lee Charlton, and she's with 3i Law. Uh, Clara Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Jim. Absolutely. Great to have you here. This yeah. is something that a lot of people don't think of. Sure. You know? because, Absolutely. Uh, because what my experience is when I ask so many people, hey, have you prepared estates for your future, you know, some people say, well, I'm too young to even think about that right now. And other people say, well, I don't really have anything to have an estate. And then, of course, all the probate issues that can happen with all that. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about estates from your perspective, specifically with the administration side. Or, and if you want to speak to the importance of getting an estate done, please feel free. We can start yeah. there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me here to talk about this really important topic um, because it faces our clients at a time that is so sensitive. You've just lost a loved one. You may have lost a spouse. You may have lost a child or a parent. And you've heard that maybe your parent has a will or maybe you realize they don't have a will and you really don't know what is that next step. Um, and it's a pretty scary situation. Um, there's a lot of crazy terminology that comes up. Like you mentioned, the term probate. Um, which usually has a negative connotation um, about it in the news. So everyone hears that word and they get a lot of fear and anxiety um, of just not knowing what the next step is. What does this even look like? Um, and everyone comes at it with different expectations. Mm -hmm. um, usually those expectations come from your neighbor or what your friend did or what happened when your grandparents passed away. Um, and some of those expectations might ring true for your family. Um, and some of them could be entirely entirely different depending on what happens, whether you've done planning, um, what are the assets. Um, it can come down to what teller do you talk to at the bank, which will depend on what experience you might have. So there's sure. so many different factors that come into play, um, which is why I'm so glad to be able to hear, be here and share some insight uh, so people kind of don't have as much fear when they're facing that situation. That's so important. And it's again, it's a critical message because it's one of those things like insurance. You don't you never need it till you need it. Exactly. This is one of those things like, man, we never think about people passing away and what that means, especially with respect to estate, but dying and 
resources, i.e. money and stuff, can bring out the best in people or the worst in people. Absolutely. Would you say that you've seen that? I was going to say that very thing. Um, The family, a lot of times families come to us, um, you know, kids and and maybe a surviving spouse, and they say, oh gosh, we all love each other. This is going to be easy and simple. And in the back of my mind, I'm usually kind of rolling my eyes because a couple weeks later, I usually get a call from somebody who is disgruntled that somebody took the Tupperware out of grandma's kitchen and won't share it with the rest of the family. Um, And when the stakes are even higher, um, people behave in ways that we could never imagine our loved ones behaving. Yeah. How did you get involved in this? I'm always interested in in kind of the prequel to the movie, if you will. (laughs) What was it that about this particular type of law that really attracts you to that? Or how did you get here? Yeah, well, you know, interestingly, I, in law school, I thought I wanted to do family law um, because I wanted to hear all like the juicy details of the fights <laughs> between the families, you know, husband and wife are getting divorced and, you know, who who cheated on whom. Um, and I quickly got talked out of that by practitioners who are in that area. It's a pretty intense um, area of law to practice and very messy. Mm-hmm. So I think of estate work as kind of being family law light. You still get to hear the juicy details, but you're not dealing dealing with fights over little kids or, you know, uh, custody battles and things like that. Um, And I have a really strong tax background and I wanted to be able to apply that in my legal profession, Um, not just being a tax preparer, but being able to analyze um, transactions and how can we get down a pathway and pay the least tax possible. Um, And so in this line of work, um, not only on the planning side, but also a lot on the post-death side, I'm able to integrate my tax knowledge into the transactions and recommend certain timing um, so that if we do it in this order, we'll pay less tax than if we had done things in a different order. Wow, that's important. It's a really great opportunity uh, because it's something that maybe not all practitioners on the post-death side of things are keeping in mind along the way. Um, Sometimes we always have a an end goal, you know, sell mom's house or liquidate the investment accounts. Um, And if we maybe had just done it in a different order or taken advantage of certain timing um, or reporting obligations, oftentimes you can get better tax results. So Mm. I'm always along the way as I'm guiding a family through the process, always keeping in the back of my mind, how do I want this to look on the tax return? Uh, because I do prepare a lot of tax returns for my clients as we're going through the process, um, just so I can have control. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a bit of a control freak, um, <laughs> and I don't want to necessarily hand this off to um, you know, a tax preparer who's going to tell me how they think it should be reported, um, and then we waste time battling over it. So I, I really appreciate that my firm has always been very open to me um, and our team preparing the returns along the way, um, and just again, being able to kind of take care of a client's all their needs instead of having to retell the story to another professional um, and just take time and increase additional costs for them. I would have never thought about the tax ramifications of this. Is Can you speak to just a little bit the, um, is there a tax bracket where you're taxed higher, the, the person receiving based on purely what's in the estate and the value of the state, or does it matter what the person's income is receiving it plus the value of the state? Yeah. How does that work? So there's there's two taxes that you have to be aware of um, when you pass away. So one is estate tax. Uh, basically the IRS asks, 
how much did the deceased person own? So they look at a balance sheet, they look at all their assets, and they compare that total to the lifetime exemption. So today in 2023, um, each taxpayer has a $12.92 million exemption. So I could leave $12.92 million to you, Jim, tax-free. Okay. And you're going to receive that tax-free. So most of us out there, we don't have an estate tax problem. If we're under that exemption, we're tax-free. You have to be cautious because that target changes. For example, in 2026, it's going back down to half of that. So more in the 6 to $7 million range. But again, most of us, we're not going to have an no estate tax us, a problem. No one's and, leaving us $6 million Exactly, bucks unless we're playing the lottery um, or, or whatever. We don't have that problem. So yes. most clients can take estate tax totally off their radar. Okay. Um, the other type of tax, though, is going to be what we call fiduciary income tax, um, which when you pass away, um, your assets don't just stop earning money. So your bank account still has interest accruing, your investments. Um, sometimes you have rental real estates. Your tenants keep paying rent even after you're gone. And that income has to be reported somewhere. Um, so like you and I prepare a 1040 every year on our to report our income. Uh, your estate, or if you accomplish your estate planning through a trust, it's going to file a Form 1041. Mm. So again, just an annual income tax return to say, well, what did we receive during the year? Um, and more, uh, what, what's maybe more applicable is what did we sell, which is usually we sold the house, um, we sold stocks and bonds. And one of the amazing things that happens when somebody passes away is there's a cost basis adjustment in all their assets. So for example, if I bought my house back in 1980 for $50,000 and now it's worth $500,000, if I sell it today, I'm gonna pay gain, uh, pay tax on $450,000 of gain. Um, If I wait till I die, my original purchase price goes up to whatever it's worth on date of death. Mm. So I can sell it for five, my, my heirs can sell it for 500,000 the day after death for zero tax, which is an Got amazing it. benefit. Um, and so guiding clients through obtaining that adjustment, making sure it's properly reported on their tax returns, um, the post-death returns and in, in claiming any expenses that we can use to offset is really beneficial to the beneficiaries who ultimately get the money. Mm-hmm. Um, now, a beneficiary gets an inheritance tax-free. So if all we have is a savings account that earns no interest, and I get that savings account, I have no tax liability. And is that falling under this other one of the $12 nope, million? Nope, it has nothing a- to do with the $12 million. Let's okay. say I have a life insurance policy of $25 million. That comes to me as a beneficiary tax-free. I never have to report that. But if that life insurance or that bank account earns money during the year, let's say it earns $100 of interest, that interest might pass out to me because it follows the assets to me. So I might get a $25 million life insurance policy, but I've got that $100 of interest that I have to pay tax on. Mm -hmm. So that's just something that beneficiaries have to be aware of. Um, If they're kind of waiting around for the money, um, there could be a document, it's called a K-1, that would be given to them by whomever is preparing the tax return for their estate or a trust that they might be a beneficiary of. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to be with the family and kind of give them a heads up, like, hey, hey, kids, don't file your tax returns yet. You're, you need this form from me um, is always good so that people don't have to file amended returns and, and things like that. And what if what if someone gets through inheritance vehicles, jewelry, art, all that kind of stuff. None of that would be taxable to them. So if I inherit a vehicle, if I inherit a house, um, that's free to me. Uh, It doesn't matter whether I have lower income or higher income. It's not based on my situation at all. Um, Any tax that might be due, it has to be trued up at the estate level, um, not at my level. And we're lucky here in Colorado. Um, Not every state is like this, though. So anyone listening from other states, there are some states that that have what they call inheritance tax, which I always remind myself because it starts with the letter I. So inheritance tax is like income tax for the beneficiaries. I see. So in some states, there's about seven or eight states out there um, where you inherit assets. There might be a, a percentage or two of your inheritance that you do have to pay tax on in your type of law is it a state-by-state licensure so you as an attorney are you licensed to do what you do in the state of Colorado or is it like we we had on a guest recently where um, her type of law allowed her to work with clients all over the country Mm. because her license wasn't state-specific because the thing's a national program more of a federal uh, yes. piece. So the tax piece, I can practice federally yes. um, in, in all 50 states. So as far as tax advising to clients. On the post-death side of thing, where I could certainly advise clients in multiple places, um, if we needed to open probate, mm-hmm. um, which we should probably talk about kind of what that looks like, but if we needed to open it, that requires a court filing. And so you have to be licensed in the state where you're going to submit that court filing. Um, and I'm licensed here in Colorado and then where I'm from in Montana, so I can submit court filings in both those states. But I wouldn't be able to do that in, say, Wyoming. I would have to get local counsel to submit that. Uh, but a lot of this advice is really, you know, either document specific or family specific. And so providing advice nationwide, as long as you're not violating our other ethical rules that we have as attorneys, you know, you can't set up shop or advertise. Uh, but I get lots of, you know, questions, you know, my bro- my brother's mom died in Wisconsin. What should he do? All right. Well, let, let's try to figure it out and get him headed in the right direction. That's so awesome. So, yeah. Isn't that great to be a resource for people all oh, over? Oh, it's, it's my favorite thing. I like to <laughs> at least get people headed down the right path so yes. that they don't waste a bunch of time kind of spinning their wheels or having to backtrack. Um, and a lot of times I just have conversations with people and I say, you know what? This is as easy as you taking the death certificate to the DMV and they'll put it in your name. And here's a little affidavit that you'll need. You send them on their way. Let's not overcomplicate this. Um, because some family situations are nice and simple and mm-hmm. can be taken care of with some of the uh, the, the shorter processes that states have adopted, um, like small estate affidavits and um, you know beneficiary deeds and things like that. So those are really good for, for clients to be aware of. Okay. And you talked earlier about probate. 
Yeah, let's talk about that. So let's talk about probate. Yeah. Yeah, Define what it is, who, where it goes, who it applies to, because a lot of people think of, especially in our world on the personal injury side, we think of probate as really applying a lot to minors that were involved in accidents. Right. That kind of thing. So can you just go through that concept? Well, and I think that terminology gets interspersed because it's oftentimes the probate court that takes care of guardianships, conservatorships, um, and then they also take care of the actual action of probate, which... In its very simplest sense, probate is the presentation of someone's will to the court in exchange for a certificate that says that you as the executor can go do the work on behalf of the deceased person. Is that the letters of testamentary? Is that what yes. that document is Yes, so the certificate called? is usually called letters testamentary or letters of administration. Um, the difference is letters testamentary means the person had a will. Letters of administration means that the person didn't have a will. Okay. Um, And so you can get that certificate in either situation um, through submitting an application. Um, So just because you found mom's will after she passes away and you read it and it names you as the executor, that does not give you the power to be the executor. That is simply a nomination. So I have a lot of clients who say, hey, I went to the bank, I took the will, I showed them the page that said I'm the executor and they wouldn't give me the money. I say, well, that's because the the bank is not qualified to interpret whether the will is a valid document. Only the court is qualified to do that interpretation. And so you take the will to the court first, They check it over. They make sure that you are indeed the person who was nominated. Um, They make sure this is a real will, that it wasn't, you know, forged by, you know, somebody holding their mom's hand trying to make her sign it. Yeah, because that happens, right? It does. It does. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, again, talk about death and money bringing out the worst in people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the court confirms that it's the real will, that they are the person who's been nominated, gives them the certificate. And in Colorado, we're lucky. From there, the court just kind of says, go do what you need to do, um, which which is nice because you don't have the court, you know, looking over your shoulder all the time. Yeah. But it can also be a very lonely place for someone who goes and gets the certificate without the assistance of an attorney mm-hmm. because they get the certificate and they say, well, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. Um, if you have an attorney working with you, they'll usually tell you, okay, here's what you need to do next. You need to take that certificate to the bank and they'll give you a check. Um, You'll then need to get a tax ID number so that you can open a bank account for the estate to deposit that check and deposit other monies that are coming in. Um, There could be investment accounts where you've got to fill out claim forms um, and collect. And that certificate is really your ID to say, I am who I am and I'm able to collect all of the assets. Okay. And then once you've collected them, you have to evaluate, well, were there any debts that need to be paid? Were there um, outstanding medical bills or credit card bills or mortgages? Because all of those have to be paid before the beneficiaries get their money. Um, so once you've paid all of those, then hopefully you've got funds left over. And then you look at the will and you say, well, who's supposed to get what? The mm. will says, you know, 50-50 to me and my brother. Or the will says that um, each of these charities gets $10,000 and the rest goes to the surviving spouse. Um, And during that period, there might be some tax returns that need to be filed to report any income that was earned post-death. 
um, making sure that the deceased person's final tax return got filed. Um, all of those like little things that the probate court didn't tell you you had to do. So many things, yeah. Um, and it's going to depend on your facts and circumstances. Mm. You know, if you have a client who all they were getting was Social Security, they probably don't need a final tax return done. Um, but if we sold their estate, or excuse me, if we sold their, their house, well, then we would need to file a return, even if income tax isn't due because of that step up in basis. You know, I sold right. it for five hundred thousand and it was worth five hundred, no gain. I still have to have a filing. Yes, because all the IRS knows is that you got five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and it's up us up to us to tell them, well, yeah, but it was worth five hundred thousand, yeah. so you don't get any money. Yeah, um, so that's a kind of an important piece. And what about if someone has? Is there any debt that goes away or dies with the person passing away so that if the executor has this money coming in that they're they're like oh they, they might get a bill from some subscription you know sure. they've subscribed to spotify or something right is that are there type or group of expenses that if a person is no longer alive then those expenses drop off automatically that an executor wouldn't have to worry about or does everything need to be taken out of that money before any beneficiaries can split that. Yeah, so there's this period of time after you get the certificate and it's called the creditor notice period. Um, so if you've ever looked at you know those small newspapers and in the back it says legal notices and mm-hmm. it's like in really small print, um, after someone passes away, you're supposed to, as the executor, publish a notice to creditors saying, hey, Jim Smith, passed away and you have four months to present your claim and that four month period of time runs and creditors you know maybe it's a credit card company maybe it's uncle joe who thinks that you know jim owes him money um it could be a lot of different creditors they have that time period to come forward and submit a claim um either just submitting it to the executor or to the probate court um, and if that claim is presented and it seems valid, um, certainly if somebody's just making things up, those yeah. go away. But if a claim is presented, then those have to be paid. If a claim is late, you know, it comes in on the fifth or sixth month, um, you can tell the creditor, sorry, you're out of luck. Yeah. Um, so it's really important to get that notice done as quickly as possible so you can get the clock running. And where does it have to go? Because I could put it in a you know, in a tiny town in Strasburg, Colorado, <laughs> in their little paper versus Denver. Right. Of course, there's no real papers here anymore. But right, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> ha- what's the requirement of exposure that this thing has to be able to get penetration? Yeah. So it has to be in a newspaper that is printed for one, and it has to be in regular circulation. So at least once a week. Um, in the county where the person passed away. Okay. So if you passed away um, in Route County, you would find the little you know newspaper that's at the you know gas station that you pick up for free as you're kind of walking out. Mm-hmm. And your hope is obviously that it goes unnoticed by yes. people who may have claims. So if you pass away in Denver County, you're not going to publish it in the Denver Post you're gonna find the little itty bitty paper that um, only does it once a week and um, you know, hope that it kind of goes unnoticed. Yeah, There's so maybe all- put it in the Spanish speaking paper if <laughs> none of your family speaks Spanish, right? <laughs> I like your thinking, I like your thinking. Um, there's another safeguard for families who might be worried about creditors, mm-hmm. um, and that is a one-year mark. 
So mm. any claim that's presented after a year, a year after the person has passed away, is denied, regardless of whether you have posted that notice or not. So sometimes there can be strategies with, you know, when do you post or whether you post at all when there are potential creditor issues um, that, you know, a, an attorney could kind of strategize with you and say, okay, what do we want to do? Because there could be a claim out there that we, um, you know, don't know about for sure, but we just want to be treading on, on um you know, thin ice. Yeah. Uh, one thing, though, that executors should remember is they're never personally liable. So if if dad had $50,000 of medical bills and his bank account only had $1,000, the executor is never on the hook for that other $49,000. But the executor is responsible for making sure that claims are paid in order of priority. So if you mm. don't have enough money, you know, let's say the right. claims are $100,000 and we only have 60 grand, you don't get to just pick your favorite creditor and pay them. Um, and it's not a first come, first paid. Payout in full. Correct. So you have to line them up. So Colorado has a statute that says, hey, line up all these creditors in order of their importance. And you have to pay the top ones first. Um, and some of those are going to be claims submitted by surviving spouses. So Colorado has a statutory sum that they want to make sure surviving spouses or minor children have to protect them from being out on the street. Right. You know, um, we're trying to, to make sure that people are okay. And so those are treated like creditor claims and are put in that order of priority. So I've had situations where, you know, maybe we do have 70, 80, 90 grand of medical debt. Um, and we've got a surviving spouse and a minor child. Um, we submit the claim, um, and now I think it's up to like $80,000 now. So we submit that claim. It has priority over the medical or the credit cards. And so we can capture what few assets might be left um, for that family to make sure that those people who are part of that immediate family are as well off as we can make them. It's a terrible situation, but I, I like working with families on those situations sometimes more than the clients who come with the millions of dollars mm -hmm. because it really gets your brain thinking about, you know, how can I put the pieces together in the order that's going to give this client the best benefit? This is a tragedy that occurred, but how can we kind of, you know, make the best out of it for them? And if there's 10, let's just use a random number of 10 expenses, including the spouse and the minor, mm -hmm. do they have to be paid out and there's a hundred thousand dollars do the and this whole thing totals up to two hundred thousand dollars except yeah. is there an a, amount applied to a spouse and to a child like can you apply amount of that and then does it get prorated out based on yeah so the way it works is you you order them up in order of priority and yep. basically you take the money and you fill up the first priority bucket first until it's fully paid and then if you still have money left, oh. you go to the next bucket and you fill it all the way so up. So 100% of the bill. 100% of priority one, 100% of priority two. And Got you it. keep going down until you get to a level of priority where there's not enough money to pay everyone at that level. And then so everyone at that level gets prorated okay. uh, at that particular level. And then everyone who's below that, they just go away. And how do the spouse and minor child get assigned a dollar amount is it based on the age of the child because a two-year-old 
would I ideally need a lot more care than a 16 year old? You would think that that would be that would make sense. Um, so when you and I are in Congress or <laughs> st- state Congress, yes. um, we'll make that suggestion. It's a flat. It's a flat amount. It actually is a flat amount for the spouse and the minor family. Together. So the, the spouse together. Okay. Yeah. So the technically a spouse could get the same as a spouse with a child. Um, and it goes up by a few thousand every year, kind of with inflation. Um, so it, you know, kind of goes up. 80,000 by no means is is ever going to be enough to make sure your family is okay um, if the resources are limited. But it is something that, that families need to remember is available as a claim. Um, before you start just paying, you know, the credit card bills, don't don't let creditors scare you into paying them after a death because the balance of that debt is locked in as of date of death. So even if the credit card company is telling you, hey, there's interest and penalties accruing, no, it's not. They're mm. just trying to scare you. And a lot of times they'll come out of the woodwork right away and say, hey, pay us 80 cents on the dollar. We'll, we'll cut you a deal. Well, guess what? If I run out of money at the spouse and child level, you aren't getting anything. Get so <laughs> why should I pay you now? Yes. Um, so I always tell people, hey, wait it out. Wait the creditor period out. Let's then look at everything. Because there's no, once you've paid the creditor, it's going to be nearly impossible to get the money back if they weren't entitled to for it. For sure. And then you as the executor could be personally liable for having given somebody money that you weren't supposed to give them. So and if there were assets clearly that were in the person's name when they died, but weren't necessarily in a will. Let's just say they didn't will their house to, and they don't have a spouse, but they yeah. didn't, they didn't um, have a will and their house is there and these creditors come knocking and, you yeah. know, I don't know, maybe Let's they did pretend have a they don't have a will at all. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, walk me through it. Yeah, so a lot of people don't have a will. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I didn't before I started this job and even now I'm like, I don't even know where my will is. You know, it's probably <laughs> not even up to date. Uh, but lots of people don't have wills and each state knows that. So state legislatures adopt statutes that tell you what happens when somebody dies without a will. And there's an order of priority that says, if you die without a will and you are married and you have any children, everything goes to the surviving spouse. The one thing that's really actually surprising is if you're married and you don't have kids and you die, your assets are split with your spouse and your parents. Really? Most of us wouldn't think that because I don't have no, kids and never, I'm married and I would, I would want my spouse to get everything. Yeah. Um, but Colorado statute actually has a split between my spouse and my parents. Um, now, if I make a will that says my spouse gets everything, well, then that overrides Colorado statute. But sure. so there's all these different scenarios. Like, do you, are your parents still alive? Do you have kids? Is it a, a mixed family? You know, I'm married, mm-hmm. but we both have kids from prior relationships. Um, and there's different uh, distribution plans that apply to all of these different scenarios. Wow. And so the executor part of their job, um, once they get their letters of administration, because that's what it's called when you don't have a will. Um, you have to evaluate, well, what scenario are we under? After I've collected all the assets, I sold the house, I collected the investments, cashed in the IRA. Okay, what does state statute say? Who gets what? And mm-hmm. I'll have to calculate that out and make sure that the right people are getting those monies. And if the if there is no will, how do we know who's the administrator? Yeah, so there's also a list of priority 
in the statute that says who gets first dibs at that job. So first would be a spouse. If you don't have a spouse, then it's all the kids have the same priority. So if you have three kids, all of them have dibs to be executors. Do they have to be over 18? You actually have to be over 21, 21. to serve as an executor. Okay. But if you don't want all three people to have to go to the bank together, um, two of the siblings, for example, might renounce and say, hey, we're not going to serve. We'll let our, our siblings serve. But if they don't renounce, all three of them would be serving together and have that obligation. And so you look at that order of who has priority to serve. Um, sometimes nobody steps up to the plate. So I could just submit an application. I could mm. say, you know what? I, I see that my neighbor's house has been overrun with weeds. I don't know if he has family. I could submit an application. But if there was a child out there, they would have the right to object to my application and say, no, 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 no. The neighbor doesn't serve as my parents' executor. Um, I'm going to finally do it if they want to do it. But mm -hmm. yeah, so there's those two priority lists of who gets to serve. And then once they're serving, where does the money go? And if is there a situation where someone, a creditor, can force the sale of property? Let's say a home gets left, but it's you, you don't plan on selling it, right? Because yeah. you don't need to, but yet all these debts line up to say, boy, if you sold exactly. that house, is there, does that have and, a and that priority? Happens. That it does? happens. So let's say I'm married um, and our only asset is our house and maybe like a small amount of cash. In so, your car or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm the surviving spouse. I'm relying on social security. I can't work. Um, and my only asset is this house. And we have $200,000 of medical debt. Um, what do I do in that situation? The creditor could say, hey, I've waited long enough. I mean, you can kind of stall um, before you know dealing with the situation. But at some point, you're going to have to deal with it. And force a sale to pay the debts. And so now I am out on the street. I mean, I can take whatever proceeds I get in excess of the debt, but that's not going to be enough to go buy a new home. No. Um, so these are really important things to think about, particularly on the uh, planning side, because there are certain assets that are exempt from creditors. So real estate can be exempt if it's titled as joint tenants with another person. And joint tenants means last man standing wins. So if, if I live and you die, well, I'm going to get the whole property and vice versa. If I die and you're the survivor, you're going to get the property. And can you have multiple joint tenants where it's me, you, you and our two kids, it and that way last man can. standing keeps going absolutely. down Absolutely. Yes, it could absolutely be that way. Mm. Um, and so that's a great way to hold title, particularly between spouses, um, and I, I put the caveat that estate planning would need to be evaluated to make sure that that was right for them. Sure. Um, but if we're worried about creditors, uh, a jointly titled piece of real estate would mm. be free from a creditor claim, um, but not property that's titled as tenants in common. And the way you can know the difference is you look at your deed to your house, and you can even just go on the county website to look at the property records. And if it says joint tenants or JT mm -hmm. um, on, on title, you're good. It means last man standing wins. Um, if it's silent or if it says tenants in common, 
that means tenants in common. So if the deed says nothing, if it doesn't say joint tenants, then it means tenants in common. In some states, the deed will say, you know, Jim and Clara Lee as husband and wife. That means joint tenants in those states. In Colorado, as husband and wife does not mean joint tenants. It has to be specifically stated. It specifically stated. has to say as joint tenants or held as as tenant as joint tenancy. Um, you you want to look through because it can appear in a few different spots on the deed. Um, so that's one asset that is exempt from creditors. The other is life insurance that names a beneficiary. So if your life insurance policy doesn't have a beneficiary and just kind of goes into that pot that's being divided with probate, um, with the probate court, it's subject to creditors. But if you have a beneficiary on the life insurance, that's going to be exempt. So there's some of these little nuances that you say, how can I put the pieces together in the best way for my particular situation and my situation is not necessarily going to be the same situation as you um, because sometimes adding kids to title is not the solution. Um, if I add my kid to title and he goes and is in a car accident and kills somebody, guess what? My house is now on the line because my kid screwed up. Wow. So yeah. you don't necessarily want to just hear one thing that says, hey, joint tenancy protects me from creditors. I'm going to add all these kids on. Because there could be a lot of unintended consequences. So it's always good to talk through your specific situation with somebody who can evaluate and knows what all the options are. So good. In order to to make sure that you choose what's right for you Mm. and not just what you heard in line at the grocery store. Right. And when it comes to all these assets, if there's a will and it says my car goes here, my painting goes here, my this goes that, then all of that becomes off the table with respect to a creditor getting some of it because it's not in the estate anymore. It went to me and to you and to Gabe. Is that no. accurate? Actually, no. the creditors come before everyone in the will. So what? the creditors come first. I didn't know that. Okay. Yes, your I thought will, it was just for cash. Or even, even if you utilize a trust, for your estate planning. Now, a trust will make it just a little bit diff- more difficult. The creditors will have to go through some extra hoops to try to get those assets. But the the kind of the unspoken term of a will is that the will says, here, hey, I want X, Y, and Z to go to these people. The unwritten piece of that is after you pay all the creditors. Mm. So I pay all my creditors first, then... I pay these people. And even though you probably don't write in your will, I pay all my creditors, that's just what state law requires. Wow. So if you die with a bunch of credit card debt and a bunch of medical bills and all that kind of stuff, we're going to have to sell your house. We're going to have to sell your car, your painting to pay those creditors first. Um, And if we run out of money, fine. It doesn't go after your family. Yes. Uh, But unfortunately, they won't be able to benefit from what you may have worked really hard to try to accumulate. Wow. Yeah. That's something. That's why someone in your position is so important. Like you said, on the planning side, because someone may be like, oh man, you know, I realize I'm getting really sick. I've got terminal cancer. I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to go travel around the world and get the most experiences I can because when I die, everything's tied up in a will. It's going to go to my family. They'll get the stuff. I have to, you know, I'm just going to try to live it out, but that's not how it goes. Not necessarily. Yeah. So you've got to be a little bit cautious with that. Um, And one other thing I thought I should mention, you know, while we're on the topic of probate and, and wills, um, don't forget about the free estate planning that you can do with beneficiary designations. 
So mm. a beneficiary designation is, you know, I might go to my Wells Fargo bank and I say, hey, I want to add my sister as the beneficiary of my account. Um, that will avoid the probate process. So she can just walk in with my death certificate and show her ID and they'll give me them. They'll give her the money. Um, and beneficiary designations override what you have in a will. Mm. So I could put in my will, I leave everything equally to my children. And then one of my kids takes me in my demented mind down to the bank and has me list them as beneficiary on all my accounts. The will, it doesn't matter what my will says. That kid is going to get everything because the beneficiary designation overrides the will. And does it override the creditor it, list as well? It doesn't override the creditors by statute, but it's going to be really hard for a creditor to try to track down where those assets are if the day after death the kid ran down to the bank got all the money no probate was opened so there's no creditor notice the creditor is not going to figure this out yes. probably until after that one after year the, mark yeah after the deadline and then they're going to be out of luck so you can you know if you're using it as a planning strategy you can certainly slow things down now if the creditor figures things out in time the creditor opens probate so that they have power to go after you and you took that money out, they could conceivably take it back from you and you'd be on the hook as the the kid who put their name as beneficiary. Uh, so it's kind of a, you know, a bit of a lottery, you know, yeah. flip the coin and say, are the creditors going to be quick enough or not? Right. Um, and try to... Probably depends on the creditor too. Some of them are probably way and more the amount. Yes. You know, a, a credit card company that you have a $3,000 balance, they're not going to waste their time on it. Right. Um, Uncle Joe, who you owe him $100,000, He's probably going to figure things out pretty quickly and <laughs> right. try to try to get his money repaid. Speaking of Uncle Joe and working through all of this, what do what's your role on the emotional side of helping someone because they've had what a lot of times would be one of the biggest losses of their life yeah. and they're trying to navigate the emotional loss side and what to do next side and now all this legal stuff. What what is it the role of you guys emotionally as as a profession and what you do for clients? Yeah, it, it very much is one of counselor. You know, mm. uh, as attorneys, sometimes we're referred to as attorneys and counselors yes. at law. Yes. Some of my days is more counseling than attorneying mm -hmm. uh, because you do have to navigate this. You know, you can't necessarily treat it just as a business transaction and telling, you know, this surviving spouse who's sobbing in your office that, well, hey, we probably better get going on that accounting of uh, getting our, our spreadsheets together. You've really got to have a, a sense of what's going on in their lives. Um, a lot of times you're kind of the middleman. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're between the, the surviving spouse and the, the stepkid. The stepkid just wants the money. The surviving spouse is trying to grieve the loss of, the, you know, their husband or wife who's just passed away and navigating that and, and trying to, um, you know, somewhat shelter the person who might be going through the emotional um, toll from maybe the beneficiaries who they have a point. They We sh do need to administer the estate in a timely manner, but we can also do it with sensitivity to what, what everyone is facing. Um, you know, we might have to sell the house, but maybe the daughter had lived with dad and taken care of him for the last 10 years. And now she's being forced to move. She's lost her dad. And the sibling who never came to town is saying, 
excuse me, where's my money? Right. Um, so you, navigating sometimes, it's not something that you read in the statute book or you learned in, in law school. It's really something that you just have to um, kind of just develop a knack and develop a relationship with your clients so that it's as positive an experience as possible. Um, you are in the people business. Well, like unfortunately, 12 feet deep, that's for sure. Indeed, indeed. Wow. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation on this. And I hope that people watching and listening have really gleaned a lot of inside information. Their stuff, and, and I've gone through um, a loss, specifically the loss of my father a couple of years ago and the loss of my youngest son oh about a gosh. year and a half ago. And they they had very different spots in life, right? Absolutely. And one of them had a, a great start starting career and a job and the other one was retired. And so there was all these different things. And so I got to see what you're talking about from a different perspective. But now even what you shared with me brought light and and I it would have made things easier for me to hear this before these losses, you know? Yeah. And so the work that you do is, is so critical. If someone is... Um, needing to either A, they need this information and they need it explained, or B, would like to know more about how to prepare for uh, estate time and loss of life leading to these sorts of situations, how would they get a hold of you? Well, so they can always uh, go on our website, uh, the three, I think, 3ilawfirm.com, and my contact information, email, phone number is all on there. Um, but I know you have listeners all over the place, yeah. so I might not be the most convenient. So, <laughs> you know, they might already um, have a relationship or may ask friends or relatives, whether there's an estate planning or a state administration attorney, that maybe they could just sit down with for an hour or so and explain what their goals are and get some ideas for how to accomplish it uh, because there's so much information on the internet you know we read and we're like oh my gosh i need an irrevocable trust why all you have is a house and a bank account you know you don't need that it's not appropriate um so so much of the advice we hear is situation specific right and we don't it, it's hard to know how to wade through well what's applicable to me you need context you know you go to home depot and you're like well do i need all of these nails on the wall or I, do i just need this little one mm -hmm. um, or do i need the multi-pack kit um, and it's very much the same in the estate planning or even the estate administration realm you you don't need all of it um, but you might need a little bit of coaching as to which pieces we need to pull off the shelf to implement to achieve your particular goals, goals for your family. Oh, that's such good advice. Yeah. And speaking of advice, I have one more question for you. Sure. Has there been a piece of advice that you've learned or picked up along the way someone shared with you that is instrumental into who you are as a human being, as a person that really is, is, is like, this is one of my tenants, this is how I roll, that you'd be willing to share with us? You know, I don't, I don't know where I may have picked it up, but it's really just treating every client as though they are the client um, and listening to what they have. And you don't have to be an attorney to apply that. Treat everyone that you encounter in life as perhaps the person that um, is going to be your most important client uh, because you might not think of them as a, a huge client, but the advice that you might have given them or the little hurdle that you helped them overcome could mean the world to them. And so just taking a little bit of time out of your day to, to help someone, even if there's no monetary gain, um, really is going to make a world of difference for them. And, uh, it, and you know, it'll come back to you eventually. 
I love that. Oh, Clarely Charlton, so good to have you. Yeah, this has been a you, wonderful conversation. If you have questions about this, please reach out to Clarely. Again, you can go to the 3 I Law Firm. Uh, is that dot com? Correct. Yep. And then uh, you can look her up there and reach out to her. If you are listening to this and a lot of it makes sense and you've not taken action, please be a man, a woman of action. Get yourself set up for your future. Make sure you're taking care of your family. Just do that. And and, um, I promise you it'll be worth it. Like I say, after having experienced loss, because my, my, my dad had his stuff so in line and so tight, it made the process so much easier for me as the executor than it would have been without that. So you have given us gold today. Thank you. And for those of you watching, thank you listening. If you have questions, let us know. I'll pass them along to Claire Lee. And until the next time we get together, remember, you too can make a difference. 